in, um, in 1606, a Spanish explorer whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce, uh, discovered a chain of 80 islands in the South Pacific. Um, there were people on it, so it had been discovered before, but the, the, the West discovered it. In 1773, Captain James Cook named the island string the New Hebrides uh, because they reminded him of the Hebrides Islands off the northwest coast of Scotland. In 1839, uh, John Williams and James Harris from the London Missionary Society landed there. Both were killed and eaten by cannibals only minutes after going ashore. The same missions agency though sent another team there in 1842 and they were driven off the island within months, seven months and they were gone. Well, there was a man named John G. Patton who sailed for the New Hebrides in 1858. And he reached the island of Tana on November 1st of that, or November 5th of that year and began his missionary work. Uh, later on, he wrote of his experience. He said, my enemies seldom slackened their hateful designs against my life, however calmed or baffled for a moment. A wild chief followed me around for four hours with a loaded musket, and though he often directed it toward me, God restrained his hand. I spoke kindly to him and attended to my work as if he had not been there, fully persuaded that my God had placed me there and would protect me till my allotted task was finished. That's a missionary's attitude. Uh, Patton resolved to maintain his Christian faith and behavior in the midst of this kind of opposition. And so he tells a story, one morning at daybreak, I found my house surrounded by armed men and a chief intimated that he had assembled to take my life. Seeing that I was entirely in their hands, I knelt down and gave myself away, body and soul to the Lord Jesus for what seemed the last time on earth. Rising, I went out to them and began calmly talking about their unkind treatment of me and contrasting it with all of my conduct toward them. At last, some of the chiefs who had attended the worship rose and said, our conduct has been bad but now we will fight for you and kill those who hate you. Patton made them vow that they would not kill anybody on his account. But shortly after this, he wrote, but again, their public assembly resolved that we should be killed because as they said, they hated Jehovah and the worship for it made them afraid to do as they had always done. Today, the island of Vanuatu, which is the name of that island is 94% Christian almost half of that population is evangelical. And, and I think that can be directly traced to Patton's work there, his, his, his labors there. What we're going to see this morning is that we are to be submissive to authorities. And that was part of Patton's um, method on Vanuatu was to stand up for what he was, he had the right to live. They, they didn't have a right to kill him but to do so respectfully in the face of what these, uh, these tribal chiefs were trying to do to him. And so this morning, as we look at verses nine through uh, 12, I mean, sorry, um, through uh, verses 13 through 17, nine through 12, we'll just pick random numbers and, and preach that, you know, right in the middle of a sentence or something. Uh, it, um, 13 through 17, the key phrase in it is for the Lord's sake. But the hard part is what the rest of the section says. So what I want to do this morning is, is start out 
looking through this verse, and then I'm going to come back to that Lord's sake. So I'm going to pass over it briefly, but I promise I'll come back to it. So remember the context that this is in. Um, we started last week with um, Peter's admonition to us, beloved, um, way, uh, be, be, uh, I'm sorry, he's beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And so last week, he kind of just told us, keep your, your, uh, your conduct honorable. Where he's going to go with the rest of this, he's going to give us some concrete examples. So the first concrete example we get is civil authority. How do we keep our conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable um, in the face of civil authority? And so verse 13 starts with be subject. Um, that's not easy for Americans to buy. <laughs> well, this country was founded because we would not be subject to a king. And so this can be difficult, but the idea of submission, being subject, being under submission to somebody else is not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. And the reason I say that is because Jesus was submissive. In Luke 2.51, it says, and he, Jesus, went down with them, Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. So the perfect man was submissive to his parents. The perfect man who was submissive to his parents had created his parents. The perfect man who was submissive to his parents whom he created was by the exertion of his will holding them together and giving them life. And he submitted to them. So that, that's, that's possible. That's something that we can do. The other thing, the other verse I wanted to bring up to show that submission is not horrible is Ephesians 5.21. We are commanded to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we can submit to each other, and it's not necessarily a horrible thing. So, so the beginning of this is this idea of submission, submitting to authority that's over us. And then the key phrase in this, for the Lord's sake. So we're going to submit for the Lord's sake. And, and Wayne Grudem in his commentary said, since God has established these structures of authority, he is pleased for us to submit to them. It is, it is good and wise in God's sight for us to submit to them. Now, the next phrase is the one that just bugs me. <laughs> this is the one when, when Joel said, let's stop and pray and, and confess. This is the one I'm like, Lord, I really need help here. Because he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. But what if I don't like them? <laughs> what if I didn't vote for them? What if I voted against them? Everyone? What if, what if they're, they're not following the Constitution? What if I, they're violating my right to free speech? What if they're being hypocritical? Every human institution? Surely, Lord, you meant only the right ones, only the good ones. The, the problem I have with this is, is I think it's just pride on my part. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I used to take the train to and from Chicago all the time right? Twice, twice a day for five days a week for it seemed like ever. There was a conductor on that train who I would ride with occasionally. And the only thing he seemed to be bothered with is if you had your feet on the seat. So if you put your feet up on the chair next to you, he would come by, take your feet off the seat. Um, okay. Somebody's talking here in the quiet car, nothing, wouldn't do anything about it. He would go up to the little 
cube, there's a little like cabin up in the top corner of the car and he would go in there and open the window and smoke. Well, you're not allowed to do that. And so I just really didn't like this guy. And one day I was coming home from Chicago with my pastor and we were talking and I unconsciously put my feet up and he came by and said, take your feet off. And I just kind of put my feet down and he walked away and my pastor looked at me and he says, do you have a problem with authority? I went, well, with that authority, because he's sitting there. <laughs> you know what? If he'd have quoted this to me, I would have just shriveled. Be subject for the Lord's sake to a conductor who is inconsistent, to a conductor who breaks the, his own rules on the train, to a conductor who won't enforce the rules you want him to for, enforce, like quiet cars. I would like to have some quiet on the quiet car. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Oh, that, that just hurts. So that means police officers and rent-a-cop security guards. Every human institution. That means judges and crossing guards. Every human institution. City councils and movie theater ushers all of them, every human institution, secretaries of state and basketball referees, be subject to them. The presidents of both the United States and the local Toastmasters Club, if you're a member. It, we're to be in subjection to all of these. It's, it's, it's really hard to do. It's hard for me to wrestle with that. My pride wants to say, well, if they're being right, if they're doing the right thing, I'll be subject to them. Well, yeah, of course. Well, anybody would if they're doing what's right. It's hard when they're not doing what's right. But for the Lord's sake, be subject to them. And so now where he goes is from every human authority or every human institution, he's going to pull some specific examples for us, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. So he, he goes from just in general to the emperor who is supreme. Now, before we dig into this, because now it's easy to lock into this and go, that, that's the only one I have to worry about. Look, look at what else he calls us to be in subjection to. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, slaves, be subject to your masters. Chapter 3, verse 1, wives to your husbands. Okay, that's going to rub a little bit. Here's the one that really will get you. Verse, chapter 5, verse 5, uh, the younger to their elders be subject to each other, right? Isn't that what he says in Ephesians 5? Be subject to each other. Look out for each other. So when he says, whether it is the emperor as supreme, he's starting at the highest human institution. Now, when he means the emperor as supreme, he doesn't mean this is a different type of human being who is superior to all the rest of us. He's saying about his authority. This is the emperor who's supreme. Now, the King James Version and the New American Standard translate that as king, not emperor. But I think there's good justification to translate that as emperor instead. And here's why. Because in Peter's time, the, the uh, king was not supreme. Why did King Herod serve? Because Caesar said he could. That's why Herod was in charge. So the king was not supreme. Um, as a matter of fact, what we'll see when we look at governors is they were kind of on the same level as a governor. So the king is not supreme. The emperor was supreme. Um, that, that's the idea here. And also, it, is the, it appears to be the emperor who sends the governor. The king didn't send the governor. They were, they were peers. 
So this is talking about the emperor as supreme, that the supreme authority in human terms is the emperor or verse 14 to governors sent by him. Uh, Pilate and Felix were examples from the Bible of people who were called specifically governors. And so were they sent by, who, who were they sent by? Well, the emperor, obviously, the emperor said, Pilate, go rule over Judea and keep it in order. Um, but the thing is, there's another way to translate this verse. And, and I know in the ESV and I think the New American Standard, there's a footnote or a marginal note that says, through him. So governors could be sent through him, not by him. If they're sent through him, then who sent them? Well, God sent them through the instrumentality of the, gov of the, uh, the emperor to do what he wants them to do. So anybody a huge fan of our current governor? Be subject to him. He is sent through, in this case, our votes, even if you didn't vote for him, by God to rule here, even if you don't like him. That really bristles me. That really rubs up my back. But this is what the word of the Lord has to say. And so we have to do it. So here's the next thing he says. So be subject to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Why? Why were they sent here? What is their role? To punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is a mini course in civil government. This is civics, according to the Bible. What is the role of the civil government? To punish evil and to reward good. In other words, they're there to maintain order. That's their, their job. That's what they're called to do. And you see that in uh, Paul's admonition to us to pray. And in 1 Timothy 2, he says, first of all, then I urge prayer that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that, they, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Why are we to pray for these people who are high and in power? So that we may lead a quiet and a peaceful life in godliness and in dignity. So we pray, Lord, would you empower our government to keep us secure, to keep the peace, to maintain things peacefully. So the civil government is not there to ensure that you're happy or comfortable or successful. They're instituted to maintain the peace, period. That's their role. This is God's form of government. This is what he has ordained since the fall as how humanity would be um, ruled. So here's a question. How are they doing? If you look at the broad swath of human history, I would say that their track record is spotty at best. Um, and it, sometimes in some places, it's absolutely abysmal. Uh, think of things like uh, in China, Mao's great social purge. That wasn't maintaining a peace, that was killing people. Stalin having people disappear by night. They were his, supposed to maintain the peace and instead he's, he's disappearing his, his uh, citizens. Um, we could go on. There's, there's emperor after, or ruler after ruler who is failing in that. So it's spotty at best. It, it comes and it goes. But it's kind of bumping along. And, and overall, if you ask any peasant during the Middle Ages, how's life? It would be hard, but, you know, we're not being invaded. You know, that we're, we're surviving, so it'd be okay. But this is the role that our government is called to, is to punish evil, 
and to praise what's good. Um, they don't always get to do that. They don't always do that right. So Peter's admonition to us is to be submissive to them. Um, but what about when, right? The only what about that we can see from scripture is when they command us to sin. So Peter goes before the Sanhedrin. He's, he's arrested. He's brought before the high priest and before the council. And they command him, no longer speak in this name. And Peter's response to them was, whether it is right for us to obey man or God, you decide, but we must speak in his name. So he was totally respectful. But when they commanded him to stop speaking of Jesus, he said, I can't do that. So there will be times when our government, because they're not redeemed, because they're not fully understanding of what's going on, there will be times when the church will just have to look at them and go, I can't do that. But we must do it with respect. That's the biblical example that we have. We don't have anybody standing up and thumbing their nose at the government. When they do, they don't go, it doesn't go well. Instead, we're supposed to submit as far as we possibly can, even when they're violating the Constitution, if they're not commanding us to sin. What if they break the law? What if they break their own law and commanding us to do something that's not sinful? Well, we have ways, because we live in a wonderful country, we have ways to address that. And, and we can, if a police officer does something illegal, oh, I got pulled over one time when I first got here, I got pulled over. And I was like, what was I doing? Because I saw him, we were driving down the boulevard and I saw the cop pull up behind me. And so I was paranoid about the, the speed limit. And they pulled me over and let me see your driver's license and registration. I was like, okay. And she brought it back. I said, what, what uh, am I getting pulled over for? Oh, I just wanted to check your paperwork because some people live here. You have to register your car within two weeks. How long have you been here? I was like, I'm thinking, you realize you've just violated my, my civil rights. <laughs> you can't pull me over and ask. Just let me see your paperwork. And that bristled me. So fortunately, I accidentally obeyed this and I was submissive and, and you know, thank you very much. Have a good night and drove away. But Boy, ask Lisa, I was just miserable for the next half an hour about this. What should you do? Well, I think I fortunately by mistake did the right thing, but we have a, a way to address that. I could have gotten her name and badge and called the sheriff's department and said, hey, you guys, you can't pull people over just to look at their paperwork. That's fishing and that's illegal. It's not immoral. It's not against the Bible. It's against local law. Remember last week we were talking about how customs can be right or wrong, agree or disagree. We can try to do things like that. This is one of those things. So we have to be submissive for the Lord's sake to these things, even when they're wrong, as long as they're not commanding us to sin. That's, that's the hard part for me. I just really, but the constitution says, but you know what? I am not subject to the constitution first and foremost. Secondly, I am first and foremost, I'm subject to God and God's command here is be subject. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is not a mistake that you're commanded to submit to authorities, even when they're wrong. Do you know who the emperor was when Peter wrote this? Nero. Nero was the one who would have persecutions arise in the coming years and would execute Peter because of that. And Peter is looking at us and saying, be subject to authorities, the emperor as supreme. Why? For this is the will of God. This isn't accidental that things came out this way. This is what God is commanding us to do. This is his will. This is how he's going to rule the nations. That by doing good, you should put, silence, uh, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
So when they see us, now remember what, what this is fitting under, the rubric this is fitting under is live honorably before the Gentiles. So live honorably before the Gentiles so that you may put to silence the ignorance, uh, the ignorance of foolish people. So here's what's going on is Romans chapter two, Paul touches on this. He says, for Gentiles, when they, who do not have the law by nature, I'm sorry, let me try that again. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show the work of the law written in their hearts while their consciences also bear witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on a day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So in other words, as we live according to what God's plan is, his pattern, the Gentiles look at us and go, I hate that, but there's something right about that. They're, they're, the law written on their heart will make them look and go, that's really stupid, but why is it so attractive? Even if they would never admit it, even if they would call us names, even if they pervert it, even if they try to turn it upside down, there's something curious about that. Living an authentic Christian life in the midst of this. Now, it's going to be hard for us because, like I said before, our culture is shifting. It's drifting away from it. So whereas it was largely influenced by Christianity, as it moves away, the things that we hold on to now don't seem so odd. Now they just seem antiquated. Why would you hang out to these old ideas, this, this antique version of sexuality or, or uh, the relationship between men and women? Why would you hold on to those things? We are progressive and we have moved along. Whereas if you come into a culture like John Patton did and live according to that way, that's, that's shocking. It's so different. We kill people and eat them. Why are you not being defensive? So it's a little difficult for us, but you know what? This is God's will. This is where he's called us to be today, now. And so let's continue to live according to what the scripture is telling us and put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's, that's the, the benefit of living this way. Not because it's going to be easy or make you look like a hero, not in their eyes, but it puts to silence their ignorance. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We live in the freest of nations at the freest of times, and while we enjoy that freedom, we cannot use it as an excuse for evil. Um, the American form of government, with its foundation of all men are created equal and have been endowed with their creator with, with certain unalienable rights, chief among these being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, is one of the most wonderful statements for what the government is supposed to be doing ever. I, I love it. I think it's great. And, and that's what we live in. We live in a society where we, can be, we are supposed to be free to pursue happiness. As wonderful and true as that is, that is not what Peter is talking about. The United States of America and the U.S. Constitution is nowhere in our scriptures. Okay, so that's not what he's talking about. It, the, as a matter of fact, Peter had no idea that there was a North and South American continent when he wrote this. So he can't be talking about us. So for us, enjoy those freedoms. But this is the freedom that Peter is talking about. He's talking about freedom in Christ. Now, let's travel back to Peter's time. Peter lived at a time when Rome pretty much ruled the world, ruled most of the known world. One person estimated that about a third of Roman citizens, the people who lived in Rome, about a third of them were slaves. And Peter could look at them and say, you're free. 
As a matter of fact, the next thing he's going to talk about us, to us is the, the relationship between slaves and masters. And he just told us, live as free people. Now, slaves, be subject to your masters as free people. So what's he talking about? Well, what he's talking about is this better freedom, this more full freedom that's even greater than the freedom that America secures for us. It's freedom in Christ. Jesus has set us free from sin. We were bound by sin. We were bondage to sin. We did sin because that's what we did. Jesus has set us free from that. So you are free people, even in subjection to governments, even in subjection to governments as wicked as the Roman Empire. You are free people. Use your freedom, not as a cover-up for evil, but for being servants of God. This is what Paul was talking about. He says, so, so we're saved by grace, so should we sin that grace may abound? It never be. Are you insane? What are you talking about? Don't you know that you have died to sin? So this is the freedom that we, that we live in. This is the freedom that we've been given. We are free to serve God in the midst of all of this. We are free to live according to how God has told us, even when our society, even when our culture, even when everything else is pushing against it, we are free to live the way that we're supposed to be. And why is this better? Because this is how God designed the universe. This is who we're supposed to be. This is how we're supposed to live. This is what it's supposed to be like, is walking with God, not in opposition to him. So now I want to take a minute before we get to verse 17 and set us up for that a little bit. Um, there's a little bit more to be said about this. And to do that, we need to go back to that statement for the Lord's sake. And, and this is where I want to kind of unpack that idea. What does it mean to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution? Well, as Grudem told us, all of these institutions were established by God. He has appointed all of this. Romans 13, 1 and 2, Paul tells us, let every person be subject to governing authorities, saying the same thing as Peter. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed. So for the Lord's sake, we have to do this. Why? Because Romans 13 tells us, even as wicked as a government can be, as rotten as, as Vladimir Putin is, as horrible as Pol Pot was, as, as tyrannical as Nero was, these were established by God. And to resist them unjustly would be resist what God has appointed. And we need to remember this. We need to remember that no matter how bad it is, God's in the middle of it. So, for example, Nebuchadnezzar. When you read, you're reading through your Bible this year, when you get to first Kings, you'll get to, or second Kings, you'll get to the point where Nebuchadnezzar shows up to sack Jerusalem. And it's brutal. It's horrible. Jeremiah laments it. This is, this is what that's all about. And yet in Daniel four, Nebuchadnezzar will come to learn a very important lesson. In verse 32, it says, the Lord most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. Why was Nebuchadnezzar on the throne? Because God most high rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. That's why. When Jesus was faced with his execution, Pilate says to him, so will you not speak to me? Do you not know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Peter's or Pilate's looking at Jesus and going, are you nuts? To, what, you speak to me. Answer my questions. I, I can have you killed. Jesus' response must have floored him. Jesus answered him. 
you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Why did Pilate have authority over Jesus? Because God gave it to him, period. So Jesus could submit to that. That's what we're going to hear in the coming weeks is Jesus set an example for us in this. Jeremiah talks about Nebuchadnezzar and his relationship to the Lord, and it is arresting. It's startling. Jeremiah 27, verse 6. Now I have, been, now I have given all the lands into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him, which is really ironic because he would join the beasts of the field for a little while. But he calls, he looks at Nebuchadnezzar and says, my servant. What's even more startling is when we talk about Cyrus, who would come after Nebuchadnezzar. In Isaiah 44, verse 28, God says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And he shall fulfill all my purpose, says Drew, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built. And of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Cyrus, a pagan king, is called God's shepherd. And then in Isaiah 45, the Lord says, thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus. Anointed, you know what the Hebrew word for anointed is? Messiah. To his Messiah, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to let loose the belts of kings. And then skipping down to verse four, for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. Why did God set up Cyrus as king? For the sake of Israel, for the sake of my people. That's why he did it. So can we submit to rulers who, even if they don't understand it, are under God's authority. They are his servants, his shepherds, his anointed. Because this is how the, this works. Now, what about the injustice? What about when, when they're abusing their power and, and manipulating people and killing people and, and Joseph Stalin and we've got to go there, Adolf Hitler and all of these other people? What about these horrible people? They're established because God has put them there. But don't for a moment think that means they get away with it. Isaiah 10 verses 15 and 16. Shall the axe boast over him who, who you, <laughs> this is hard to say. Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or the saw magnify himself against him who wields it? As if a rod would wield him who lifts it, or if a staff should lift him who is not of wood. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness upon his stout warriors. And under his glory, a burning will be kindled like a burning of fire. So what, what Isaiah is telling us here is God has established Nebuchadnezzar, has led him in to Jerusalem, has carried away Israel into exile, and then he's going to turn around and judge Nebuchadnezzar. And saying, you're the axe in my hand. You're the staff that I'm wheeling. You don't get to rise up against me. You've gone beyond what I've commanded you to do. And so these kings and these potentates and these rulers and these presidents and these everybody... When they step beyond their God-appointed role, God will judge them. It will happen. When will it happen? Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in the heavens saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. 
we read Psalm 2. I almost quoted almost all of Psalm 2 in the service. I'm glad Joel put that up there. The nations rage and roll and, and plan and plot in vain. And what is God's response to them? He laughs. That's cute. And holds them in derision. And then his response is wrath. So this is how the kingdoms fit in. They are not unleashed on their own, doing whatever they want. They are under the authority and under the direction of God. So listen now to verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. That's his summary statement on being submitted to all human institutions. Love, honor everyone. That's no more than Jesus told us when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Care for everybody. That, that doesn't mean everybody in the household of God. That means everybody. Honor everyone. Everyone. Where Peter is going to remind us where he's, he's gone with this, where he's touched on this before is from chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That's why he says, love the brotherhood with brotherly love. So we honor everybody. And then within the church, by the way, the church is not just these four walls. The church is much bigger. We are to love the church with brotherly love. And he's already, he's already talked about that. He's already brought us to that. Fear God. He's talked about this before. Verse uh, 17 from chapter one. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. It is proper and appropriate and right for us to fear God and for the fear of God to lead our lives and to, to conduct us. So each one of these people is given the right amount of authority. We don't fear the emperor. We don't fear other people. We fear God. We don't share brotherly love to everybody. There's a special kind of love within the church, but we honor everyone. And then finally, honor the emperor. I can guarantee you, Peter did not vote for Nero. I'm 100% sure he did not vote for Nero. I'm almost, well, no, I am. I'm 100% positive that Herod did not vote for Pilate to be the emperor or to be the governor of, of uh, Judea. I'm, I'm positive that. I know for a fact that Paul did not vote for Felix to be the governor. And yet, we are to honor the emperor. Whether you like him or not, whether you voted for him or not, whether he's with your party or not, whether he's good or bad, we are to honor the emperor. Why? What, what is this supposed to do? Well, this is us looking weird. In our highly politicized environment right now, you can't agree with the other party because they're evil. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Honor the emperor. But above all, fear God. So we can look at the other side and go, they're wrong. They're, they, they could be deadly wrong on this. This could be the worst mistake they're ever going to make. Honor everyone. And 
And I just want to make this like posted all over social media. You know, the social media makes it so easy to violate almost every single one of these, right? We have to honor everyone. Why? Because we are called to live honorably before the Gentiles. There is something about being the church that even in the arena of politics is going to look different. And that difference, though it may get you called funny names, will stand out. Because what was the end of this? What did, what did Peter tell us? He said, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Do you remember how I explained that? Glorify God on his day of his visitation? In other words, we live honorably before the Gentiles because they might get saved. They could glorify God, not in a, in a servile fashion where they're forced to, but they could see the good conduct and go, God did something to that person. There's something different about them. That's not the gospel. You got to preach the gospel, but it can attend that and it can make it stronger. So, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Submit to all human institutions. Brothers and sisters, I'm preaching myself at this point. If you want to ride along with this, this is good. Submit to all human institutions, to everyone. Let's pray. I need prayer. Lord, I, you know my heart. You know I wrestle with this. And uh, Lord Jesus, I, I want to do what the word is saying. I want to fear God first and foremost. Above all other things, I want to fear God. And Lord, when you command me to honor all earthly institutions, Lord, the reach of that is, is greater than my heart's able to comprehend. So Holy Spirit, would you seal in my heart a desire to honor your word, to honor everyone, to exhibit brotherly love to the brotherhood and to fear God. And so Lord, in the midst of that, may I honor the emperor as well. Lord, would you lead us all to do that? If the church throughout the United States was able to follow this well, not perfectly, but well, the witness would be incredible. We would stand out as something very different, something very strange. And people might begin to ask and wonder what it is about us that, that is not carried away by these things. Have mercy on your church, Lord, as I honor the brotherhood, as I love the brotherhood, I pray that you would um, have mercy on your church and that you would strengthen her across this nation to live in accordance with the ways that you have designed, that we might obey what Peter is commanding us by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God, for the Lord's sake. And that we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.